Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, sleepyheads, to The Witness Prophecies, a Sleepy Hollow podcast on Golden Spiral Media. I'm Steve. And I'm Barb. And this week we will be discussing Episode 4 of Season 3, The Sisters Mills, which was written by Heather Rainier, who also wrote the Kali Yuga story last season about Holly and Camilla. And it was directed by Guillermo Navarro, who was a 2006 Academy Award winner for Best Cinematography for Pan's Labyrinth. Some heavy hitters there. They did have some heavy hitters, and I think that they did a nice job on the episode. Absolutely. Would you like to hear a little recap of the story this week, Steve? Let's hear it. Okay. Well, this week, two young girls have just gone to bed when the older sister turns and sees a monster extracting the soul out of the younger one. Crane plays with video games and eats junk food, while Abby tries to get him to study for his citizen's test. Abby gets a call from Joe, who tells her about the young sister who is in a coma at the hospital after being attacked by this monster. Later, Crane talks to the older sister, Saffron, and encourages her to draw a picture of the monster, which, she says, was the Tooth Fairy. Crane recalls that something similar happened to the niece of Betsy Ross and that Paul Revere cured the child, but he doesn't know how Paul accomplished this. Back at the archives, they learn that the monster is called the Abizu and that it takes control of children after they lose their baby teeth. Only children can see the monster. Meanwhile, a little boy with a loose tooth sees the Abizu hiding in his closet. Jenny and Inkabod meet kids at a local school and learn about this little boy, and Jenny and Abby stake out his house. While they're waiting for the monster to appear, Abby tells Jenny about locating their dad, and Jenny says... She has known about him for five years, causing a rift between the sisters. When the monster attacks, Abby is hurt and is rushed to the hospital in a coma. Meanwhile, Crane has obtained Paul Revere's files and medicine bag, and he and Jenny learn that silver will make the Abazoo visible to adults, and they can then kill it. Back at the hospital, Pandora taunts Abby. Crane and Jenny pursue the monster, light it up, and kill it. Abby is okay. The younger sister awakens from her coma, and all is well. Finally, Abby takes Crane to the dentist, and later they contemplate Pandora's words, marking them as destroyers. As they consider this, Pandora watches them in her reflecting pond. A new rose blooms, and her face begins to crack. I'm not sure if it cracked or if it was turning scaly, kind of snake-like. Or it almost looked like when an old painting and the paint begins to peel off of it. Right. Yeah, so it's hard to say whether she was turning into something new. I guess it's too much to hope that she was just cracking up and exploding, huh, Steve? Yeah, I don't think that's uh, quite yet to happen. (laughs) No, we have a long way to go with Pandora, and she's a good 
bad guy. So I think we'd like to keep her around for a while. All right. What kind of news do we have this week, Steve? How did our epi do? Well, we've got a little bit of news. Episode 2, Whispers in the Dark, the Live Plus 3, grew 50%, going from a 1.0 to a 1.5 in 18 to 49. That's good news. Episode 3, Blood and Fear, Live Plus 3, grew 62% from a 0.8 to a 1.3 in 18 to 49. And this episode did 2.9 million viewers with a 0.8 rating for a three share in adults 18 to 49. Now, I'll give you a little perspective over the last four weeks. Scandal has dropped 0.83 million viewers and a 0.3 in 18 to 49. Blacklist has dropped 1.07 million viewers and a 0.4 in 18 to 49. You compare that to Sleepy Hollow, which has only dropped... 0.62 million viewers and a 0.2 in 18 to 49. So Sleepy Hollow has got a much stabler and committed fan base than either of Scandal or The Blacklist. So even though the numbers aren't great, I think there's a lot to be taken from that, that we aren't losing viewers like those two big shows are. So And football is still taking quite a toll on all the shows too, isn't it, Steve? Yes, it is, as well as playoff baseball. The World Series starts on Tuesday, so we've got another week and a half of it, two weeks. Well, here we go again, and obviously what we want to see is all our sleepyheads out there. Tape the show. If you're going to watch sports, okay, but watch the show. Absolutely watch the show. It is just fantastic. Yes, and I'm almost positive that the last, well, am positive that all four episodes have been trending on Twitter, either the hashtag Sleepy Hollow or Abby or Ichabod. I've noticed that, and that's a very good sign. There is a lot of uh, social media support for the show as well. So apparently, most of our 2.94 million viewers are on Twitter as well, so that's good stuff. Good thing. So, Steve, what kind of a rating did you give to this episode this week? Well, I really enjoyed this episode, and I gave it a 9.75 see no evil monkey emojis. Uh, <laughs> oh, doing a little flirting yourself with Zoe there, aren't you? Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I gave it 8.5 junk food binges. All right, Crane. Stay away from them gummy bears. Oh, uh, yeah. They'll add weight, too. So tell us a little bit about Team Tribulation this week, Steve. We had a rock'em sock'em monster, didn't we? Yes. We didn't really see Pandora bring this monster to life like we had in the past. So it was very interesting because this was probably the best monster of the season. I agree with you. And one of the things that the monster maker, Corey Castellano, had said during Dragon Con, he had three really good ones ready to go for the fans. Yes, the Abazu had to be a mighty contortionist to get into those positions that it was in. It sort of reminded me of one of those old plastic Gumbies, you know, that you can (laughs) twist every which way. And it kind of looked like old Gumby, too. Exactly. It was definitely a very creepy tooth fairy, to say the least. Oh, and that face, (laughs) that, that was downright unbelievable. Yes. I mean, and we see it right off the bat, too. And you go, whoa, it's going after children. Oh, no. And then later when... It's going after the little boy. He sees it in the closet and he's 
trying to get his mom's attention. <laughs> She's just not having anything to do with it. The boogeyman is not real. Yes, it is, Mom. I see it. No, don't open the closet door. No. Now, I like that you had compared this monster to a couple of other creatures that we've seen in the past, one being the Dementor on Harry Potter. I think this is the second time that we've seen something similar to that this season. It just seems to suck their face off of them. (laughs) And then the good old Neolutionist on Orphan Black. Yes, you know, they had those like funny little critter tails and other oddities. And when the uh, eyes, yes, and when that tongue came out of the tooth fairy's mouth, it looked like, and I thought, ooh, gross. And this wasn't the only thing that was creepy in the episode because Pandora stepped up her creepiness by a level of a hundred. What did she do? Well, her being in the hospital playing a nurse of all things. And she definitely made sure she tried to get into whoever she talked to's head. Poor Saffron. After Jenny tries to pump her up about, yes, your sister's going to be okay and you're going to be just as strong as ever and she won't remember any of this, Pandora turns right around and gets in her head and says, oh yeah, these adults don't know what they're talking about and it's just all going to end horribly. Yeah, great bedside manner. And then later on the episode, you see her walking down the hall, humming Ring Around the Rosie. Now that was just way out there. (laughs) And I know a lot of people think of Ring Around the Rosie as this delightful little thing that you do as a child, right? You all hold hands and dance around in a little circle. And then we all, you know, ashes, ashes, we all fall down. And of course, that little ditty was actually something that came out of the time the plague was prevalent. And I think that it was more concerned about burn the body. You know, everybody died. They all fell down. Ashes, ashes. They had to, I believe, burn the bodies Mm -hmm. to keep the plague from spreading anymore. So really not particularly pleasant. No, not at all. I guess Pandora knows her music. Apparently so. Yeah. And of course she does that just before she goes into Abby's room. And you go, oh, this cannot turn out well. Not at all. And she magically brings Abby out of her coma and then starts playing with her vital signs as she's complimenting her and trying to get into her head at the same time. Because she goes, one of a kind, not afraid to die, and all these great things to try to get into her head so she can find out who's the person that would affect her the most if they were gone. And of course, it turns out to be her father, which, okay, I can buy that, seeing that she apparently knew her father a little bit better than Jenny did. Pandora was definitely on the creepy side this episode. Yes, but the writers gave Pandora... A little line as a lovely shout out, didn't she? Oh, yes. (laughs) What do the writers do for us, Steve? Uh, As she's bringing Abby out of the coma, she looks down and Abby, you know, pulls back because she knows who she is. And she goes, hello, sleepyhead. Now, that's wonderful that the writers did that for all of the fans out there. But as a sleepyhead, I don't want to wake up with Pandora sitting next to me. No. (laughs) Or over me with... Oh, gosh, no. No, no, no. (laughs) That would uh, not be a pleasant way to wake up. No, definitely not. All right, Barb, what about Team Witness? 
Well, let's start out with Jenny and Joe. And I will say that Joe took a lesser role during this episode than he did in the prior two weeks. But Jenny was front and center. And what Joe did do for us this week, though, is that he told us or he let our team know that the young girl had been to the hospital in a coma and that her sister had seen a monster. So Joe has seen enough now to know that, uh uh-oh, if I see something that looks out of the ordinary and strange like this, I'm going to call Abby and Jenny and let them know. I thought it was real interesting that he's actually an EMT. Well, actually, he's, he's sheriff. So I guess in a small town you need to have be able to wear multiple hats and do a number of different things. But it's a good thing that he was on duty and he was one of the first on the scene. Yes. And then we get the nice little stakeout that he gets paired up with Crane. And they start talking about the Mills matchmaking service. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, that was funny. Yes, that was funny. And I would love to see a flashback of both Abby and Jenny trying to match poor Joe up with somebody. I know. And Ichabod is completely oblivious to all of it. What? What? Yeah. (laughs) No, they haven't tried to set me up with anybody. (laughs) And Joe's telling him, well, if they try to set you up with this person, run, you know, and you don't want to be with this person. And Crane's just looking at him as if Joe is the new monster of the week with two heads. And then they get into the text that Ichabod seems to be receiving every two minutes. Oh, and we saw that throughout the episode. Yes. That was really interesting that everybody seemed to know. Crane, don't you know that there's a mute button so you can keep it from dinging every time you get a text? <laughs> and we'll talk about this a little bit more, but I know when he was first talking to Abby, all you could hear in the background was ding, 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 <laughs> ding. And I thought, turn that thing off. Anyway, we did have Abby and Jenny spending some time together. And I think this was about as close to a B storyline as we got during this episode. And that was Abby finally realizing that she did indeed have to tell her sister about finding Daddy Dearest. And lo and behold, while she and Jenny are doing their stakeout outside the young boy's house, after feeling Jenny out, Abby tells Jenny, and we should have known this. I didn't see of this coming. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> it made but perfect sense as soon as she said it. It did. Here's, here's Jenny, right, who is the person who can find all kinds of ancient artifacts, do all kinds of research. Would she have known about her father? Absolutely. And she did. She knew everything. She Mm -hmm. knew that he had been remarried, that he had a stepson. But I also noticed that she seemed to have a tinge of anger and defensiveness back at Abby while Abby was trying to, you know, tell her all about daddy. And so what that says to me is that she has unresolved daddy issues. Yeah, I think that's very possible that she does. But like she said, a lot of them were brought up because that's what Abby was saying to her. She was very young when he left. So she didn't really have any solid memories. And we saw that when Abby was trying to kind of feel her out there in the the girl's room was she wasn't remembering some of the stuff that Abby was saying. So it made sense that she would come back and say, well, I feel like this because you felt like this. So if you want to go see him, that's up to you. But I don't want anything to do with him. And even though she said it, and even if she was young, you still as a child, when you lose a parent, you have that somewhere buried deep inside, there is this sense of abandonment. Oh, yes. And so I strongly suspect that Jenny does have a little bit of that somewhere inside of her. But it definitely caused a rift between them in the car, so much so that when they finally confronted the monster outside the boy's house, and Abby was severely injured and in a coma and taken to the hospital, I mean, you could see guilt 
written all over Jenny. Absolutely. And actually, Jenny got knocked out first. Yeah, she did. And it was great that apparently when she swung that axe, hit a sprinkler line and sprayed up the water that actually allowed them to partially see it. And that ends up being a big clue as to how they're going to get it visible enough to kill it. Yeah, absolutely. That was a a stroke of luck. One of the last things that we learned or that Jenny discovered by the end of the episode was the name of our rogue artifact acquisitionist from last week, which I could have found by looking up on IMDb also because it was out there. Anyway, the name of this person is Sophie Foster. At least that's the name by which she is currently Calling going herself now, right now yes. right <laughs> and up and what jenny also found out is that an artifact acquisitionist for hire and yes. so the person who placed this ad his name is atticus nevins and he was the one that was footing the bill to acquire the shard and i think we'll see him playing a much bigger role in the next few episodes Yeah, I would say that it probably would be after the Bones crossover. Right. But it sounds like this is another person that will come into the storyline. And so here we're having a little bit advancement as our team is learning more about Pandora. What is this evil? What is she trying to do? And what is their role going to be? Absolutely. So what about Inkabod this week, Steve? Well, he apparently has adapted because he's definitely into video games, soda pop, and junk food. Oh, my goodness gracious. (laughs) He's like a kid. Yes, absolutely. You could almost put him as, you know, a 17, 18-year-old there. Or a teenager. Yeah, with the way he is there at the first of the episode because Abby comes in and says, you should be studying, you should be studying. Oh, I know it all. I don't need to study. And how many times have I heard that from my three kids? (laughs) (laughs) Well, she sounded more like his mom. Yeah. Than his... Co-patriot. Then we get to see something we hadn't seen before, and that's Ichabod trying to perform magic to try to break the ice with Saffron. And that went so horribly wrong. Oh, he, he looked ridiculous. And she thought he was ridiculous, too. It caught me off guard a little bit, simply because I go back to that episode in season one where he has to save the little boy. Now, granted, the boy was closer to his time period than Saffron was, but the way he handled it was so completely different, it wasn't funny, and it just... Seemed out of character a little bit? Just a little bit. I love the way he handled the kids in in the classroom when they're trying to find out any of them might have lost a tooth recently or about to, except for his bringing up hemp and the drug part, which... Fortunately, only the teacher realized what he was talking about. Yeah, that was a little off. And quite frankly, only one, one, there are only a few strains of hemp that are narcotic, I will say, in nature. That used to be a common crop back at that point in time. And Exactly. They used it for everything. Yes, uh, especially for like rope type substance, Mm -hmm. ropes for strength, durability. And for protein, the seeds apparently were used for protein as well. And once again, we also see Ichabod probably it's acting like a teenager because he absolutely knows nothing about women at all. 
it seems like. And yet we've always seen him as being so very gallant and respectful. And that really hasn't changed. That's true. And I don't really have that big of a problem with it because we kind of have seen that in the past with him. Believe her name was Mary, the one that turned into the weeping lady. Oh, yes. He was that way with her. He couldn't be strong enough to say, no, it's over. So he doesn't seem to be able to communicate his feelings or be able to tell what other women are feeling about him. Well, there's one other thing, too, I think, Steve, and that is the difference in the era. Because I don't think that it was quite as common for women to be as forward, perhaps is the right word, right in the 1860s, 1870s, as perhaps women are today. And yes, I kind of give him a pass with Caroline and now Zoe. The way he handled Betsy was awkward, to say the least. I thought he handled it well. It's just that he wasn't able to put things together because he didn't say anything when she basically told him he needed to go when he was there to support her after Paul came in. And he actually did express his feelings later, saying, apparently I am wrong in my feelings about our intimacy. And she basically said, roll with it, Crane. That was his (laughs) fantasy dream that probably never happened. That's what I'm going to say. That is very possible. And I don't know if it was really needed. Yes, I can see that happening being under the influence of nitrous oxide, which apparently he was for a tooth cleaning, which just because of his fear of dentist, I can see that happening. My wife has that as well. And sometimes it takes nitrous to get her through a oh no a procedure. So that I can buy. <laughs> I've seen it happen before. He was funny. And of course, Zoe apparently is getting more flirty with every text she sends. And of course, Crane doesn't see it. But Abby does take a look while he's coming out of his drug-induced state. She had made him a nice little emoji of him on an eagle. I did a freeze frame of that phone last night when I was re-watching the episode and absolutely laughed. Sleepy Hollow writers, you guys have got to put that out there for us to get. That's all I have to say. Absolutely. Oh, that was so funny. If I don't see that on the 4th of July, I will be very disappointed. And of course, it was interesting that he gets admonished for eating too many gummy bears the week before Halloween. Yes. So, adults, don't let your children eat too much candy next week after (laughs) trick-or-treating. Or they're going to be back at the dentist. Yes. And you never know when tooth comes out, that tooth fairy may not be what we thought. Well, you know, and that's something else that we really haven't talked about yet, Steve. Since this happened to Betsy's niece back in the 1760s, 1770s. Has this monster been around for 250 years? That's what led us to believe because we don't really see Pandora bring it back to life. So maybe it has. And it's just one of those things where as time progressed, more probably in the 50s, your parents would give you a quarter for your tooth or a dime or a nickel, you know, something silver. So that kind of kept it away. That could have been it. Because silver coins were actually not produced until the, I think I read it was the late, uh, somewhere around 1790, I think, was when the true first silver U.S. dollars, I'll call them, were right. produced. Because, of course, we weren't a country until 1776. 
So I think that's when the first silver dollars were produced in the United States. Okay, how's our other witness? Well, Abby had a good role this week, but it was probably not as prevalent when we saw Crane and Jenny together fighting while Abby was in the hospital. And this week, I think one of the nice parallels was here she was, the protective older sister to Jenny, you know, trying to protect her, coax her about her father. You know, she's always looking after Jenny. And in a way that seemed to mirror the roles that we saw of the two sisters in this episode, Saffron and Jessica. Absolutely. And here, Saffron was feeling this, and actually... We almost had a bit of a role reversal because here the older sister, Abby, was in the hospital and Jenny was very worried and feeling guilty. Then when we saw Saffron, she's sitting in the hospital watching over Jessica, her younger sister, and feeling guilty. A lot of nice parallels on the sisters. I think another thing that we saw with Abby is certainly her very strong desire to protect the children and the innocent. And I think this is one of the things that we've seen as witnesses, that Abby and Crane know that they have a responsibility to protect people. And I think that it came through loud and clear here, and especially with small children. I completely agree. And we haven't seen that in a while. I mean, that's, I don't know that we saw too much of that at all last season. I know we saw it some in season one. I think it really brought out her desire to help. And then I think one thing that we saw here was definitely her vulnerability when she was knocked out and she was unconscious. And we thought, uh uh-oh, we usually don't see that with Abby. Abby is always the strong one. And here she was taking care of Crane, making sure that he went to the dentist, telling him to, you know, to study for his citizenship test. And all of a sudden, here we see Abby, and she's vulnerable. Now, granted, they've always been vulnerable when they've had monsters attack them. And we've seen that before. But I mean, here she was knocked out. She was vulnerable. Oh, absolutely. It, It was very possible that when Pandora walks in her room, you think, oh, no, this is it. This No. (laughs) No, 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 no. Don't you even think about doing this. I know. And especially as she touched her and I thought, is she going to inject her with something? Right. What is she going to do? Is she going to hover over her? Is she going to call the tooth fairy monster to come after her? I mean, what's going to happen here? And I think, again, that just tells us no witness is secure. No. So, but a very good episode and a lot of good screen time for our main characters. Great story all the way around. Oh, I agree. And I really thought it was absolutely great that, yes, Abby was able to be on the sideline for the actual dealing with the monster just for once. It'll probably be the only time that happens, but at least we got to see it once. And I thought Crane and Jenny worked really well together. I did too. And I think that it showed how important Jenny is is. Mm -hmm. to the team. Absolutely. So do you think we should talk about some theories and some prophecies that we might have, Stephen, things that were a little different perhaps this week. All righty. Of course, Jenny knew about Daddy Dearest. Oh, yes. We should have absolutely known about that. Now, the thing we don't know is, will she come around and support Abby in her quest to talk to Father? Now, I think that because Pandora has gotten the belief that that is the one thing that Abby can't live without, she's going to end up going after him and it's going to force the sisters to confront him. I thought that was very interesting because last week I went out on a limb with one of my crazy theories and said that I thought that maybe daddy was a big bad. And the fact that Pandora was interested that Abby's vitals changed just enough when Pandora mentioned daddy makes me think that now daddy is vulnerable. And so maybe daddy isn't the big bad after all. 
Maybe he is someone who just walked away from his wife and his kids. But then again, we get back to the question that you raised, Steve. Why on earth would this father walk out on his kids, especially if mom was a little loopy, perhaps, at the time because of things that she had seen? Right. Yeah, you would think that any father that loved his children would not leave them with a woman who's, to a normal human being, is not all there. Unless he's a complete deadbeat. But I don't think that the writers would spin him that way. I'd be very surprised if they did. Yeah. With Jenny knowing that he had already remarried and has a stepchild, it kind of sounds like he went ahead and moved on with his life and had a family. So it doesn't sound like he's a deadbeat type of person. Although when Jenny said, well, he really sold them a bill of goods. Right. That made me wonder if he was still with that family that he had created at that time. So I guess we're going to have to wait a couple weeks and find out. (laughs) Yes, we will. Well, when will Zoe make her move on Crane? Well, he is adorable. (laughs) Apparently she thinks so as well. She does, doesn't she? We may have to wait a few more weeks to see that. Well, you know, and that's one thing that disappoints me, though, too. If she's been helping him this whole time, we're not going to get to see him in a naturalization class and with the teacher (laughs) and challenging a teacher. That would have been so much fun. Yes, it would have. Uh, Oh, well. Yes, we will see. I'm still not sold on her not having something to do with this and maybe coming around and possibly holding something against Crane, kind of coerce him into doing something he shouldn't to get what he needs. Oh, that's a good point. The vengeful female, a woman Uh, scorned. Remember Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. All right. Well, he's supposed to take that test in approximately a month. So I suppose that would put us into November, early December at the latest, depending on how the episodes run. We'll see what happens. Now, Pandora's voice. Did you notice how that changed as she talked to Abby in the hospital as if it were cutting in and cutting out and being spliced with another voice? Yes, I did. It was very similar to Abby's eyesight because it was clear and then it got fuzzy and then it cleared up and then it got fuzzy. It was playing with poor Abby's head big time. Yeah, but here's the question. Do you think that was because Abby was kind of coming in and out of semi-consciousness or do we think that Pandora was changing as she related her story? Her tale of woe. So I believe it was a combination of both. I think, yes, it was probably a lot of Pandora's reliving her uh, tale of woe, because even though she had her father killed, it affected her. And I think a lot of it had to do with her playing with Abby's vital signs. When she had her hold of her arm, I think Abby's blood pressure and heart rate were just going all over the place. Whether it was intentional or not, I think it was intentional. I think that was another way that Pandora was getting inside Abby's head, was making her vulnerable physically so it would be easier to get inside. Now, at one point during the voice change, when it sounded much more male, it almost sounded a little bit like Moloch to me. At least that was my take on it, for one snippet of it. I can see that. And then at the end, we watched Pandora's face change. I call it cracking. Again, whatever it might have been. What did you think about that? It didn't surprise me that her face changed. I kind of took it as 
being more snake-like and maybe it's just because got the root of all evil and yet we have the snake that tempted eve i'm just snowballing things together i'm going oh yeah that would work that would work (laughs) now that's a really good thought because we've changed this as inkabod and abby and i think jenny were indicating at the end of the episode we've changed this from the greek pandora to the sumerian pandora and apparently that has more creation origin roots to it. And they seem to be playing on this notion of destroyers. And that was very interesting. We've always referred to our team as witnesses, and they've been referred to as witnesses. And yet the tablet that Crane procured from his ancestral home referred to them as destroyers. And Pandora, when she was talking to Abby, referred to Crane as a fellow Napalutu which apparently is Sumerian for destroyers, at least according to what I saw on the internet. Right. That's what Crane came back and said. Exactly. As well. So is that a play on words that is meant to put doubt into the witnesses' uh, minds that maybe they are destroyers and they're going to do something that's going to cause the end of the world? And. That's hard to to predict because then, let's say they're really witnesses. And if they're witnesses and they're good guys and they're not destroyers. So that means that somebody may have planted this tablet at Crane's home in England. But who's to say he ever would have gone there to get it and would have seen it? So maybe, you know, maybe there was some other artifact out there that would, quote unquote, lead them to the same conclusion about themselves if Pandora's trying to mess with them. Yeah, and the tablet could actually mean destroyers of evil. Exactly. And she's just... Just trying to play it off as destroyers of the world, a negative destroyer instead of a positive destroyer. Yeah, because what if they are, um, yeah, if they're destroyers of the gods or of Satan or Moloch or whomever, and Pandora and her evil forces are saying that if you all, we don't want you all to play with us. We want to play with the humans. And if you interfere in us and our play with humans, you know, taking them to the dark side, to purgatory, to wherever, then you're wrecking our fun. And we don't want you to destroy our fun. But then Pandora said something else to Abby. She said, you're not like the others. Yes. So does that mean there have been other destroyers between Abby and Inkabot, but that maybe Sumerian Pandora and her master, whoever her master might be, the one who's imbuing her with this power, have they always defeated the other destroyers? Very interesting question, because we also got that same situation in the messengers in that series, the group of angels that was dealing with the end of the world as they came together, found out that they were not the first ones, that there had been a group of seven before them and before them. And so this is kind of a repeating cycle. That would be mind-blowing. Yes. But here the question is, then is it always Crane's family? Is it always Abby's family? Yes. If the tablet was at Inkabod's ancestral home, then that could imply that it was his family always. And we know that Grace Dixon, Abby's ancestor, had been involved in helping fight supernatural forces, evil ones. So maybe it's something that's inherited. 
something for our listeners to ponder there. And let us know what you think. Give us your theories and your thoughts. Absolutely. Now we get to see Abby and Jenny saying that no fight will ever keep them apart in the future. Well, you know what that means. They will probably have either a major disagreement or a parting of ways over something. Completely agree. As soon as they said it, I thought, no, you didn't write that in there. It's going to happen. (laughs) No. Talk about getting a fan uproar if Jenny happens to be the one who turns, no. No. (laughs) No. All right. I don't want to think about that anymore. Give us something light and airy to think about, Steve. (laughs) What were your ickyisms for the week? All right. Lieutenant, if I have not yet belabored the point, Allow me to endeavor. I do not need to study history. I lived it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we've all lived history. Yes. Ichabod. And it does change depending on who writes it and what their memory is of the event at the time. Exactly. I hope he doesn't fail his citizenship (laughs) test. He might. And then they offer you four options for every query. Multiple choice. It's practically a parlor game. Well, if it was, so many kids wouldn't fail their tests when they have multiple choice quizzes. (laughs) And then he goes on and says, so tis not disgraceful enough that I must implore to become a citizen of the country I, in part, founded. I must also learn by rote a compendium of solecisms masquerading as our nation's history. Welcome to America. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Abby couldn't get nowhere with getting Revere's bag. And he comes on and just turns on the charm and is able to get it in no time. And his line, I can give you an address if you have a quill. And I'm sure they loved that. Yes. He's catering to our our arts, our museum qualities, a quill. And then, of course, the best line of the whole night was when Abby shows him the text from Zoe. And he looks at it, and he's still not all together in his head. He goes, oh, I'm adorable. Oh, he was so adorable and cute. I loved it. He is adorable. I think everybody uh, screamed, uh, yes, you are, Crane. Yes, he is. (laughs) Well, what did history teach us this episode, Barb? We actually learned something new about Paul Revere. And I thought, it's not possible. When Crane told us during the episode that Paul Revere was a dentist, and I thought, there's no way. And so I looked it up. And of course, we all know Paul Revere is the midnight writer. But Paul Revere, he was a silversmith, an engraver, and he was an industrialist. However, he did take up dentistry in the late 1760s when the economy suffered after the British imposed the stamp tax. So he allegedly learned this skill from a surgeon who lived nearby, and he supposedly made wire dentures of walrus ivory or animal teeth for his patients. I don't know that I would like animal teeth in my (laughs) mouth and wire. Anyway, according to one story, he became the first person to practice forensic dentistry in what would become the United States when he identified the body of a friend several months after that friend died in the Battle of Bunker Hill. He apparently recognized the wiring he had used on the false tooth that he had provided for his friend. You know, I wonder as a dentist if he accepted copays. <laughs> and I'm also wondering if maybe he'll show up next week with bones. Yeah. Forensics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was a nice lead in. Yeah. So now you know something new about Paul Revere. Absolutely good stuff there, Barb. Yeah. So thank you, Steve. So tell me, what kind of feedback did we get this week? We got more feedback from our bestie, Justina. Oh, that's so exciting. 
And here it is. Hi, Barb and Steve. This is Justina for Witness Prophecies. I give this episode 7 out of 10 bags of gummy bears. I really like the relationship between Abby and Jenny. It has really evolved since season 1, and the writers never forget to continue to develop that, and I like it. So I was researching Greek mythology Pandora, and now they're talking about Pandora of Sumeria. When I looked up that, I found another creation story. That got me thinking about Pandora's daughter repopulating the Earth, which led me to think about Ichabod and Abby being destroyers. Is it Pandora's hope that she will throw enough challenges at Abby and Ichabod that the world will be destroyed and then Pandora can remake the world in her own image? which, based on the final scene of this episode, is a very, very scary image indeed. So this is Justina signing out, and very, very thankful that I am too old to still be receiving visits from the Tooth Fairy. Thanks for the feedback, Justina. Wow, you really brought it this week. She did, didn't she? And she threw out a very good question. And is it Pandora's hope? that Pandora will throw enough challenges at our team and force them to destroy the world so that she can remake it in her own image. I like that thought. I do too. That is very possibility there, uh, Justina. It is, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's another scary one. If we follow the possibility that they could be destroyers, then that definitely could happen. And if she does keep throwing these monsters at them and trying to instill fear... Because people react to fear. Absolutely do. And a lot of times they tend to either, you're either going to lash back or you're going to run. Our witnesses or destroyers, if that's what we're going to call them now, have shown they don't run. No. So very good, Justina. Really like that thought. And yes, we love Abby and Jenny's relationship as well. All right. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode and the season so far. So please send us your feedback and theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thanks for all the retweets, favorites, and interactions. I've got a few shout outs for this week. Justina, Michelle, Kelly, and Ainge. Thank you so much. Yeah, we really do enjoy reading any comments that you make, all the Twittering you're doing, and keep it up. Again, we want to get word out that this show is fantastic this season. And if people have stopped watching it for some reason, we want to encourage them to get back on the train and start watching it again. Yes, we do. How can they get a hold of us, Barb? Well, there's several different ways that our listeners can interact. And the first is at our voicemail number, which is 304-837-2278. Or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the SpeakPike widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can also attach audio feedback and send it to us. Now, our feedback deadline is every Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. You can also reach us at Witness Prophecies on Facebook or on Twitter at Witness Prof GSM. You can reach Steve at Salyer Steve, S-A-L-Y-E-R. And you can reach me at Tangier14, T-A-N-G-I-E-R 14. So please hop on, join us on Facebook, on Twitter. Love to interact with you. And sleepyheads, remember to watch two episodes next week. You got to watch First Hour of Bones and then watch Sleepy Hollow so you can see the entire story. 
Yeah, definitely remember one hour earlier. Yes. <laughs> we have two hours of Abby Crane and our team. It's going to be hysterical. Yes, it is. All right. Now for our visions of the future section. If you don't want to be spoiled. Run fast away. All right. The fifth episode of the season, October 29th, Dead Men Tell No Tales. With Brennan and Booth in tow, Abby and Crane set out to prove that supernatural forces are at play when a mysterious death plagues the FBI. As Pandora unleashes a force to awaken the dangerous Redcoat General Howe, both teams must find a way to save the town from the British Army of the Undead. Can the power of Booth and Brennan combined with Abby and Crane be enough to stop Pandora's evil forces? The British Army of the Undead. (laughs) This is going to get good. We're going zombie. That is going to be exciting. Well, after that one, and that's, again, that two-hour special Bones crossover with Sleepy Hollow, so that's going to be great. And the week after that, on November the 5th, the sixth episode is going to be The Red Lady from Caribbee, when Pandora unleashes an iconic monster to haunt the residents of Sleepy Hollow as they sleep. Abby and Jenny are tempted to confront a painful part of their past. Meanwhile, Abby makes a crucial decision for her career, and Crane does his best to guide her with wisdom from his own experiences. Will Ichabod lead Abby to the right decision? In Episode 7 on November 12th, The Art of War. When Reynolds heads to D.C. to discuss developments in the Nevins case, Abby is left in command. Jenny and Joe deal with unexpected consequences as a result of stealing the shard, which leaves both the lives of the heroes and Abby's career in great peril. Meanwhile, a new, more dangerous evil force is revealed. Okay, that sounds scary. And the interesting thing about this is there is that Reynolds is going to DC to discuss developments in the Nevins case. Yes. And we heard that name, Atticus Nevins, mm-hmm. for the first time, time in this episode. Yes. So that means that it's not going to be just an artifact thing. No. There is a case, and it goes up to Reynolds to Danny's level. Uh, Apparently over Danny's level because he's got to go to D.C. Uh, Yes, that is very scary indeed. So that will be, have some probably some very interesting speculation on that in the weeks to come. And then on that, I'm guessing that there'll be one more episode before Thanksgiving, because of course, Mm -hmm. there won't be anything on Thanksgiving evening. And uh, then I don't know how many they'll have before they get to the Christmas break. Yeah, we don't know. It's possible they could break at episode seven. I think they'll probably wait and at least get two more in before Christmas. That would make it a nine and then nine. Oh, so that's an 18 episodes. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Nine and nine. I think they originally said that the season was going to be 18 episodes long. So a break at nine would be about right. And we know that one of those obviously will be a Christmas oriented episode. Yes. All right. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To describe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. We want to thank JB97.9 and Dana for your reviews. We do appreciate it. Let your friends know and hope you're enjoying our podcast. And don't forget, if you're considering any early Christmas shopping, go buy Golden Spiral Media and click on the Amazon link. doesn't cost you any more, but it kicks a few pennies our ways to help support our servers. And this is Steve. And this is Barb signing out and reminding you that after you eat all your Halloween candy next week, your dentist wants you to brush 
and floss your teeth. See you next week, sleepyheads. <laughs>